Welcome to The Receptive Life. We're learning how to fight against the unholy trinity, to defend ourselves with the promises that come from the person, the work of Jesus, but also learning how to receive all of the gifts that can only come from the hands of the triune God. So we're in the first uh, first station of this week, the weekly practice, which would be uh, station number seven, uh, focusing, examining our life according to the Ten Commandments. Again, the Ten Commandments, uh, the question behind them are: uh, is what does love look like? Uh, what does love toward God look like? What does love toward neighbor look like? And we use the, the three uh, different uses of the law to examine our life. Uh, the law as curb, right? Think boundary, think fence line. Uh, things are to stay out as well as to stay in, right? So don't cross the boundary. Uh, think of it also as mirror, as a spiritual diagnosis. You look directly into the mirror of the law and you see who you really are and you cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. But there's also buried within these commandments an exhortation or an encouragement um, to live in different ways. So not just a don't do this, but do right? Not just stop, but also start an invitation to live in a different way. And we do that not because we earn favor or merit with God by doing good works, but rather we have the good works of Jesus placed upon us. His righteousness is on us and we become new creations. He lives within us. He works through us. And so what does that then look like? Uh, What does God invite us into? What type of life? Uh, and so we think of it as a rule or norm. Or you could say uh, our hands being full of good works. And so no need to invent good works. Uh, in the Ten Commandments, you can look through those uh, commandments and you'll find that you will have your hands full of, uh, of works that would be pleasing to God, uh, helpful to the neighbor as well. So always, again, the, the commandments as uh, as keeping the commandments in a new way, new thoughts, new motives, uh, flowing out of the finished work of Jesus placed upon us. So we receive those good works. It's called the receptive life, right? We receive the good works of Jesus upon us, and now we respond uh, to that work uh by living in new and different ways. The sixth commandment is, thou shalt not commit adultery. So what does this mean? Luther says, well, we should fear and love God that we may lead a chaste, you could say pure, a chaste and decent life in words and deeds and each love and honor his spouse. Now there's an elegant order uh, to these commandments. And so flowing out of the first table of the law, love for God, Then you move towards the neighbor. But the order moves from uh, mothers and fathers and families. That's the core of community. Uh, And flowing out of that core of authority then is uh, order within this world with civil authorities. So you have that as the basis, the family. And then you move to your own body, right? Uh, Not being uh, hurt or harmed in any way. And then we're going to find out... uh, The next order is uh, the relationship that God has established between husband and wife. Luther, in his large catechism, speaks of this elegant order. He says, These commandments now that follow are easily understood from the explanation of the preceding, for they are all to the effect that we be careful to avoid any kind of injury to our neighbor. He says then, but they are arranged in fine, elegant order. 
In the first place, they treat of his own person. That's the fifth commandment. And then Luther, Luther then says, Then they proceed to the person nearest him, or the closest possession next after his body, namely his wife, who is one flesh and blood with him, so that we cannot inflict a higher injury upon him in any good that is his. So the commandment asks uh, ask us to lead a chaste and decent life. You could say pure. Uh, pure in action. Pure in words. Pure in thought. Right? Pure in heart. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. He continues, he says, Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so we belong to uh, we belong to the triune God, and he calls us to live then holy, uh, holy lives. Jesus does this uh, also, Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that everyone who gazes at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Again, you read Matthew 5, you'll see that Jesus is just not uh, addressing the outward act. He sees deeper. Right, so he reveals what is truly there, because out of the heart come uh, the actions, out of the heart come the thoughts. And so Jesus identifies all of these uh, Pharisees who are saying, "Oh yeah, I live a righteous life. I don't outwardly kill. I don't outwardly commit adultery." But Jesus looks deep into their heart and says, "If you even gaze at a woman, look at her lustfully, you have broken this this commandment." Uh, Luther continues in his large catechism, he says, But because among us there is such a shameful mess, and the very dregs of all vice and lewdness, this commandment is directed also against all manner of unchastity, whatever it may be called. And not only is the external act forbidden, but also every kind of cause, incitement, means, so that the heart, the lips, and the whole body may be chaste and afford no opportunity, help, or persuasion to unchastity. Thus, to state it in the briefest manner, there is required this much, that everyone both live chastely himself and help his neighbor do the same, so that God, by this commandment, wishes to hedge round about and protect, as with a rampart, every spouse that no one trespass against them. So God sets this boundary again, right? So you think of it as curb or fence line to protect specifically in this commandment, to protect um, marriage. Now, marriage is God's, then, estate. He uh, invented it. He instituted it. He approves of it. He, uh, in this commandment, guards it. He honors it. Um, Matthew chapter 19 says, Jesus speaking, Haven't you read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall join to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no more two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, don't let man tear apart. What a gift, right? The gift that God himself uh, protects that he honors, that he has blessed uh, this institution uh, of marriage. And so the call then is to lead a chaste and decent life, a pure 
uh, a pure and decent life. Uh, how? In acts, in words, in thoughts, uh, in the heart. And again, we'll find that you'll have uh, our hands. We'll have our hands full of good works. No need to invent, uh, you know, good works, but rather, you know, to think about um, the commandments as invitations to lead a life uh, that um, God Himself He said He would bless, and not to go beyond the the boundaries. What is the sixth commandment? Luther again says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we may lead a chaste and decent life in word, in deed, and each love and honor his spouse. Again, we always take comfort, um, not that our works merit anything before God, but the works of another, the good works of Jesus. So God, the triune God, is the perfect lawgiver. We have broken that law. We haven't loved God with all our heart, with all our mind, our soul, our strength, haven't loved the neighbor as ourself, uh, are guilty in thought, word, and deed. The good news is that we have a perfect one, our brother, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity coming in the flesh, keeping the law perfectly for us so that he could become the sin bearer, right? So an innocent man takes upon the sin of the world, goes to the cross, pays the wage for sin, which is death, rises on the third day, and uh, now rules and reigns. And uh, we've been crucified with Jesus, and we no longer live, but he lives then in, in us. Paul again says it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.